0: All right, everyone, if you're just joining us, just give us a couple minutes to let people jump on and then we'll go ahead and get started. All right, we have a lot of people on already, so I'm going to go ahead and start the introductions. So hello, everyone. I'm Rachel Zabonik-Chanco, Editor-in-Chief of Club Solutions Magazine, and welcome to our monthly virtual thought leadership series. This This session is sponsored by ASF, and will surround the topic of medical fitness and where this category is headed. We have a really awesome panel for you all today, including Chris Crater, the CEO of ACAC, Deborah Sienna, the President of Midtown Health, Alan Lloyd, the executive director of Beacon Health and Fitness, and Kevin Kevin McHugh, the COO of the Atlantic Club. Um, Karen Rice-Siegel, she unfortunately got laryngitis and will not be able to join us today. If you have any questions during the discussion, please feel free to put those in the chat or the Q&A section. Um, I highly encourage you to ask any questions that you have. This is your time to pick the brains of these really awesome panelists that we have, so ask away. And to start, uh, could each of you panelists just tell us a little bit about yourselves, your organizations, and what medical fitness programmings each of you offer? Deborah, we'll start with you.
1: Sure. Hi. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, Thank you for joining us. Um, As um, Rachel just said, my name is Deborah Siena, and I'm the president of Midtown Health. We manage fitness and wellness centers for either corporate headquarters or health systems. We have seven health system fitness centers, wellness centers that we manage for very large um, healthcare organizations um, throughout the Midwest um, area. And um, we do all kinds of medical integration programming, um, physician prescribed evidence-based medical integration initiatives um, with regards to um, lifestyle programs, physician lecture series. We have medical advisory boards, We um, collect patient outcome and do aggregate reporting. And so we're very involved, engaged in the medical fitness um, genre from a management company's perspective.
0: Awesome, thank you, Deborah. How about you, Alan?
2: Yeah, thanks, Rachel. Good afternoon. My name is Alan Lloyd. I'm the executive director of Beacon Health and Fitness. And we're a part of Beacon Health System, which is in North Central Indiana in the South Bend area. And uh, we've been in the medical fitness space uh, since the really the early 80s, but uh, more so uh, taking a more concerted effort towards it in the uh, early 2000s. And I would say two of our flagship programs uh, related to medical fitness would include what we call our Beacon Best Medicine program. And that is a series of classes that are included in membership uh, for people that are designed for individuals that have received a life-changing or life altering diagnosis. So things like arthritis, heart disease, Parkinson's, uh, peripheral artery disease, cancer, and even doing some prehab work, uh, getting people prepared for uh, surgery. So um, that's one of our big programs. And then another one we call Wellness Surround Care. And that's a uh, monthly or bi-monthly meeting that we have with a team of clinicians uh, combined with our fitness team, uh, massage therapists, personal trainers, physical therapists, Uh, sports medicine docs, all these folks come together to then talk about cases uh, related to members that we have uh, who are facing specific challenges. So a lot of other smaller details related to medical fitness, but like I said, those are really two of our flagship uh, programs.
0: Yeah, the wellness around care, I've looked into it. That's very cool. What about you, Kevin?
3: Yeah, so uh, my name is Kevin McHugh. I'm the uh, chief operating officer at the Atlanta Club. Uh, we've been involved in medical fitness since around 2011. Uh, we operate two large commercial uh, clubs uh, and also we have two medical fitness, both these clubs are medical fitness certified facilities. So we kind of dabble in the commercial and, and in the medical fitness area. Uh, also at the same time being very involved with IRSA. Um We also, we, we, de- we deal with, uh, the PrEP program, which is the Physician Referred Exercise Program, MFA programs, Parkinson's, exercising with cancer, living with diabetes. Uh, we have a strong RD program with nutritional counseling. Uh, we have a medical advisory board. Um, and we've taken an approach of being a commercial club that also is a medical fitness uh, club at the same time. So we integrate both the medical and the commercial.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. All right, last but not not least, Chris.
4: Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm uh, the CEO of ACAC Fitness and Wellness Centers. We have 13 uh, locations here in the Mid-Atlantic, also on the IRSA Board of Directors, uh, and very involved there, uh, just like Kevin. And I think the the thing that ACAC was most known for was really the prep program as well. You know, that was uh, pre-COVID, about 7,000 medical referrals uh, every year coming into our clubs um, based upon the prescription of their medical provider. Uh, we're also um, a certified DPP provider, so both in terms of being fully recognized by the CDC as well as uh, being Medicare eligible. So we, can, we, we actually are able to bill Medicare for uh, that DPP service as well inside of our clubs. Um, and really, uh, for us, medical fitness goes all the way uh, through our operations. We have registered nurses at our larger locations. Uh, we run programming at each of our locations for uh, medical fitness uh, participants and really excited to be here and, and, and actually learn a little bit too from these great great thought leaders. Uh, I have my notepad ready to go, so uh, really excited for the discussion.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Well, let's kick off the conversation by just defining medical fitness. Um, what does that look like at your organization? Obviously, you guys you know, talked about some of your specific programs, but what is the actual definition of medical fitness for those who might not? Be fully aware of it, um, Alan. Let's start with you.
2: Sure, I, I think you know. At, at one level, um, the way we look at this is we're trying to blur the line a bit between the definitions of member and patient, and so we want people to know that they come to our facility to get better, whatever that means for them. And and uh, at times they may uh, be operating more on the member side, and then at other times more on the patient side. Um, and the way that we do that then. Is by pairing fitness uh, fitness services with clinical services, and for us, more specifically, as part of our health system, uh, what that entails is not only the fitness side, but then physical therapy and sports medicine. So, those are really part of our uh, our key the key parts of our formula.
0: Awesome. What about you, Deborah? How do you define medical fitness? Yeah, I, I think it's a blend of
1: fitness, health, and medicine to improve the well being of the participant. Um, That really is a combination of exercise and nutrition, eating better, and education um, that um, helps to blur that line, just as Alan said, between the patient and the member and um, really be part of the whole care continuum of the health system.
0: Chris um, or Kevin, is there anything that you'd add to those definitions?
4: Yeah, Well, I I think my my two cents would be that... um, you know, we see ourselves as preventative care. So everyone who comes into our clubs, in some ways, is is, is a medical fitness uh, uh, participant because really what we're we're looking at uh, is 40 percent obesity in this country, and I think that's something that we've got to correct. And we have a business and an industry that is primed to play an increasing role in that, uh, in that solution. So I feel like that's, that's a big part of the second part of the, the medical fitness is that most of us are going to have some sort of life-altering medical situation in our lives, whether it be a big surgery, whether it be a heart attack, cancer, you name it. And so for us as a health club, it's being there for those uh, individuals when they need help, either through our physical therapy programs or through directed uh, programs for their specific disease state.
3: Yeah, I, I would just add, I, I, I agree hundred percent that uh, medical fitness is uh, the term. Preventive care is probably even a better term than medical fitness. And medical fitness is a, that one category that seems to be so broad that everybody could say they're part of it. Uh, but I think the preventive care really does make a difference. And and I also think that when you take a look at medical fitness, you know, what does it mean in your club? Um, I think it really uh, means what kind of safety protocols, what kind of emergency responses. How do you manage your business? How do you integrate your customers? How do you get the assessments? And really, you need to be program focused, outcome based, and individual. Individuals are the key. And sometimes we get away from that in the commercial side. We're thinking about stats, and I think medical fitness brings us back into the individual. And the individual will stay as a member if we have the right programs, if we get the right outcomes. So I think that's something. That's the way I, we look at it here at the Atlantic Club.
0: Well, I, I think all of us are well aware of, um, can you guys still hear me? Yeah. Okay, no. it froze for a second. Yeah, so I think we're all aware that um, government policymakers, um, you know, had a different perception of the industry than we do. And we definitely had a, a media problem over the past year or so. Do you feel like medical fitness is a space that could help improve the industry's image and how important it, is it to the industry's future? Chris, what are you what are your
4: thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's critical. You know, one of the one of my primary functions within Ursa uh, leadership is actually chairing the public affairs committee, which is really about how do we prove the the overall um, value of our industry to the overall to the to the to the health discussion. I think, you know, there's something called the Physical Activity Alliance, which many of you uh, may be aware who are on this webinar that is really bringing together the best minds around prevention and trying to find a way to promote physical activity there's actually a congressional physical activity uh, challenge going on you know right now so so much of our uh, focus always when we think about public advocacy is on lobbying and getting a bill passed and we know how difficult that is uh, in terms of getting a bill through congress these days so i think that that's actually um second to really improving our profile uh, publicly in terms of pr efforts in terms of uh, actually creating what i call more legislative not legislative but administrative policy uh, changes that can help our industry. So I really think that this is this is critical. Um, I think we need to be commissioning more research, more studies, proving the value of exercise. Uh, there was one actually last week about um, participants in, in regular physical activity having a better outcome uh, when they actually did a, a catch COVID or, or, or uh, become positive. So I think all of this really plays into a hand where we have a great product and a great, a great uh, industry. We just need to tell our story a little more effectively.
0: Definitely. Yeah, Deborah, what are your thoughts on the importance of medical fitness to the industry? And you have a unique perspective as the president of Midtown Health and also having a hand in the commercial business as well.
1: Exactly. Having both the retail side and the medical or the prevention side. But um, to Chris's point about the um, population of of, um, being more than 40 percent obese, More than 75% of the US population is overweight. And yet health clubs, the typical retail club only attracts 20% of the population. And so there's this whole majority of people out there that really need us um, because the benefits of health and well-being are just unquestionable um, in everything that you read um, and that we're here for them. And yet we don't have the ability to reach them. And I think that's one of the things that a medical fitness Facility or center can help break down those barriers and encourage more of the participation from the population that doesn't typically come to a retail club.
2: Yeah,
0: Alan, is there anything that you'd like to add?
2: Well, I think um, you know we know we recognize that the the sick care model of healthcare is broken, and uh, that the fitness industry can play an important role in. In, uh, a newer model uh, that like like Chris and Kevin have alluded to that's that's prevention based uh, the good news I think is that that not only do we have a, a tremendous product as Chris said uh, but we also can control can control our own messaging and so uh, you know I, I, I'm eager for us as an industry to start looking or to start seeing um, uh, you know the where are the promotions or the ads that we put out saying hey let's break let's boost your immunity let's raise your Immunity. Um, let's prepare you for things and for life uh, through exercise in a way that, uh, again, is preventative. So, so I think um, we need to shift our messaging a bit, and, uh, that, and and we can do that. That's within our control. Yeah,
3: Kevin. I, I would just I would just add um, our industry had a reputation, as we, we talked about, that wasn't very positive, and so when COVID hit. Um, we pretty much got what we deserved. And I'm not being crass with that. I, I don't think that we deserve to get anything different than we have, because we we were very splintered. We were very, um, we really didn't tell people what we did. All we talked about was memberships. And there's a saying that I, I really enjoy is no one got healthier joining a health club. Okay. They get, they got healthier because they were involved with programs. We We kept People started always seeing our programs as being membership, 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 and it looked like we were just—they were just stats. I think the the thing that medical fitness can do, even just thinking about it, is we we care about the person. We need to get more words out about how we change in the population health of the United States. They need us. Um, and going back to Deb's point earlier, I was uh, looking at the three top reasons why people. Um, died of COVID. One was if they had an organ transplant. The second one is uh, if they were over the age of 65. But the third one, equally important, according to the, the study from Kaiser was that inactivity. Well, that's what we, we number three is something that we can, we can control. And we've got to tell the world and the country that we can control it. And if we don't do that, then we're gonna get next time something pops up and we don't approach it from a medical fitness standpoint that we're here to help you, not just to have you pay membership dues. I really think that medical fitness can help help us get a little bit closer into that realm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, um, before we get into how to operate medical fitness programs successfully, let's talk about if a gym should even enter that space in the first place. How do they decide if this is something that they should be looking into? Um, Deborah, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, um, I think that it's a it's a real commitment. It's not, it's not um, dabbling in medical fitness. I think you really need to make a commitment to it. Um, And I think that a lot of the gyms sometimes have approached medical fitness as a membership drive in a lab coat. Um, kind of that whole concept that we're just selling memberships or trying to keep those stats and not really looking at the total whole wellness or health and well-being of the person. So I think that um, a, a gym owner, a club owner really needs to decide if they want to make the commitment to what needs to happen in order to have a quality
0: program. Yeah, definitely. Kevin, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I
3: agree. One of the things is going to be top down. Uh, it doesn't happen unless ownership and leadership, and senior managers and managers and low level lower level staff all buy into it. Um, because we're really good in our industry, and I've been in it for 28 years. As having flavors of the week or flavors of the month, and your staff says, "Oh, okay, we'll we'll listen to Kevin for this for the next you know month, but th- this this will pass. We'll pass. We just have to tolerate it." But if you really go into medical fitness, you really have to have the commitment. You get a brand new vocabulary. It's, it's, it's about programs and it's about outcomes. And there's words that commercial fitness clubs never heard of before. And they're great words, they're great vocabularies, but it's a lot of learning. And it takes a lot of time. And you just can't buy it off the shelf. Medical fitness is integrated. It's not something you can buy. And so, and you really have to make an investment.
2: Alan, what would you add? Yeah, you you know, I think um, uh, it's easy uh, for the fitness industry to look at medical fitness as an opportunity. But I think that really you should go in with your eyes open and first understand your obligations. You you know, are you going to accept the role of a leader in your community as it relates to that community's health and well-being? Um, Are you ready to partner with others in in that higher purpose? And are you ready to have these long-term, lifelong commitments with people, as Kevin said, that go beyond membership? You know, a person that leaves your club but is still in your community is part of the continuum. And so you need to start thinking about either programs or outreach or ways that uh, um, you can still serve. And ultimately, as we all know, I mean, obviously, the the membership model is key for, for our financial well-being um, but people come and go, but but uh, your commitment needs to be resolute and stay with them beyond those uh, narrowly defined parameters. Um, and and when you do make that commitment, it's um, it it, uh, well, it it does have to be top down, but it's lived day to day in its operations. It's not just a brochure or a flyer that you get to create and put out. I actually uh, came from the for for profit side originally. And, and when I arrived in my current position in 2007, I thought I was medical fitness because I, my department was part of the hospital. And it took me two years to realize that that wasn't enough, you know, <laughs> that, that there's a, an obligation on the programming side. So so again, it's not uh, something that you just get to check a box and say that you're medical fitness. It's something you gotta live.
0: Yeah, your intentions have to be to actually help, not just add a new profit center to your facility. Right. Yeah. Chris, anything that you'd add?
4: Yeah, I think defining your entry point um, based upon your club model is pretty important. You know, there's um, there's a, a wide uh, variety of medical programs and services that, that can be delivered inside of a club setting. And so I think being very cautious and careful uh, with what it is the DNA of your particular organization can commit to. You know, at a very basic level, there are check-in programs that are run by a variety of insurance companies um, in the middle in the middle of it, there's, there's obviously, you know, some, some, some preventative programs that can be run and more of the higher end, you're making direct connections with third party payers for reimbursement, you know, which is a more complex strategy. So I think really understanding where it is that your club group or your uh, facility, or even yourself, if you're a proprietor can actually deliver is really important because it is a long-term commitment. It is something that you have to get up and do every single day. It has to be part of your um part of your DNA as an operator, whatever it is you decide to, to do. And so, you know, the the dangers are that if we overcommit in terms of what we're idealistic about in medical fitness, we run the danger of potentially overcommitting to something that we can can't support. Um, in many club cases that the there's a lack of investment in medical fitness over time simply because it can be expensive to hire additional staff and run these programs. There is an investment in this. You know, we found it to be worthwhile, but I think again, it's something that that everyone needs to be very careful about on the way in so that you have to give yourself the best opportunity uh, for continued long-term success.
0: Yeah. Well, once an operator has decided, um, yes, I wanna start exploring integrating integrating medical fitness into my facility, um, what are the next steps? What are keys to success? I know each of you, some of you have medical advisory boards. um, Some of you have medical fitness certifications. what are, you know, what's the basics? What do people need to really make sure that they have it there in their facilities? Alan, let's
2: go with you. Sure. Um, you, you know, I do think it's important to acknowledge that you can grow into this. You don't have to uh, uh, put everything in place on day one. Um, but but some of the key things, I mean, you, you've got to have the uh, the buy-in, obviously, from the top. You've also got to have a really strong relationship with the physician that's inclusive in his or her nature and is willing to bring people in to the discussion. Um, uh, and 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 really, this is a lot to do with relationships. You've got to have relationships with your providers and, and uh, get them on board and, and realizing like any relationship that it's, it has to be nurtured. You know, you can't have a meeting, announce that you're doing this, send everybody off on their separate paths and assume that it's going to work out. And, and that's really the benefit that we've seen in, in what I was referring to earlier when we called our, talked about our wellness surround care program. Um, the, the other thing I would mention is there's a lot of uncertainty around this. Philosophically, everybody will agree. So as you start talking about it, everyone will say, yes, that makes sense. But they're unsure of their place when you first roll this out and, and how it fits in with everyone else. And so I would tell you that, that it really takes a year or two of commitment to ingrain this and make people feel comfortable and help them understand their role. Um, so don't look for just immediate wins right off the bat. And uh, as Deborah said, you wrap things in a white coat and then magical things happen. You know, it, it's, it's more complex than that. And, and um, I think that those are important first understandings.
0: Yeah. Deborah, what are your keys to success when integrating medical fitness into a facility?
1: Well, I think um, it's forming that partnership with the medical community um, that Alan spoke of um, and that relationship and um, that whole idea of give to get where, um, you know, you can start by serving as the front door to the health systems care continuum, where can you um, refer them to physicians or service lines or clinicians to help them increase their own downstream revenue. And then you have to have common goals um, showing that you're serious about it with your staffing and your programs and your best practices. Because if you are out there building a relationship with a health system or a clinician or a physician, and you're looking for referrals, you have to have the appropriate program to put them in with the appropriate staff and criteria that really will help with disease management or with the chronic condition, as opposed to just trying to integrate them into membership as you would in a retail club. And I think that's really the difference is the quality of the program.
0: Yeah, you have to be able to show specific outcomes for these patients who are being referred to your facility, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts on... um, how you can go about doing that um, just in regards to like program creation, what specific outcomes should be tracked? Uh, Chris, you obviously, you know, yeah, kind of. I, uh, <laughs> I,
4: think, uh, I think it's really as simple as you can make it, the better. Um, Physicians are overloaded. I mean, let's be clear. Most doctors we talk to are so busy and, 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 and they don't have time um, within their 10 minutes with the patient in that room to learn everything it is to know about your program because they're talking about a million other things. So number one, it's gotta be simple and easy for for, for a physician to refer to your program if you're going a physician referred route. Um, you know, I think, you know, the other the other parts of it are make the outcome simple and easy to track so that anybody on your team can collect this information. Don't create a ton of complexity around that because the more complexity it is, the more likely it is to break, the more likely you are to have errors. Um, certainly in our world, we developed a software platform, you know, to actually begin tracking your outcomes. So. You know, we have a couple million pieces of data now um, from that. So I think for us, it became something that we invested in. Um, you don't necessarily have to do that. Uh, you know, I think that's certainly a long road, but it's proven helpful to us in terms of being able to to, to prove what we're doing works. And, you know, to jump on something that, that maybe was the previous question, which was, how do you get started? Yeah, I know this is really, again, keeping it simple, but in your membership list, there's a bunch of people who have a prefix of doctor. Go find them. You know, you can do a quick mumber dump. Look who's a doctor. They're already a member of your club they already like you they're already a fan they're already paying you maybe talk to them about what it is you could do to help them you know most physicians do not know how to prescribe exercise so in addition to being time constrained i think there's a very famous oregon state study out there that 80 odd percent of medical schools didn't require um, any kind of exercise education to graduate now maybe that's changed since the study was issued is pretty famous. And I think that goes to the point Like, we have to do the lifting. We have to develop that program and say, here's what we have to offer. Here's why it would be good for your patients. Because quite frankly, they're looking for us to be the experts in how to deliver that exercise program. The physicians know of the the chronic health condition or the potential issue that patient is having. They're relying on us to build something that's engaging and able to meet their needs from a physical activity perspective in a safe environment. And then that's the last point I would make is make sure your club is ready to handle these medical populations. Some of whom have different challenges. You know, some of whom may have mobility challenges, some of whom maybe never have been to a health club before. So when they're coming in and, and into a club, they've got to see people that look like them. They've got to be, see a facility that that is not intimidating or overly scary. Uh, it's got to be something that people can walk into and feel like, okay, I can see myself here for the long term. So there is a little bit of prep work before you even start, you know, Uh, on making sure your facility and your team are ready to go, because that's a big part of that first impression for these potential members and patients.
0: Yeah, I would love to talk more about how um, clubs can welcome these special populations into their clubs and make sure that they're set up for success. But before we do, Kevin, is there anything more that you'd add on the past couple points?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things of getting started is um, there's, there's ways you can get help. You don't have to do it yourself. I mean, there's the MFA. There's uh, there's the um, Ursa uh, has a wellness component. Uh, there's other clubs that are in the in the realm. Uh, you don't have to do it yourself. Um, I do think we were fortunate here. Pat, uh, Law has made a major investment in medical fitness. Um, it became very evident to our doctor network and to our members that we were involved with it. Uh, the other thing too is that. It, it does take time. It, we started in 2011. We didn't start our first medical fitness programs in 2014. We, we used three years to get ourselves certified, to get our medical advisory board together. And remember that you have to have programs that work so that you can go to doctors because doctors will never refer into a health club. They'll refer into a program. So if you're gonna to talk to a doctor about your program, he needs to know that he can refer a, a patient into a program that's called the diet for diabetes, or for A1 uh, lower your A1C scores, or for um, exercising with cancer. And he knows exactly what those programs are. If he ever thinks that you're using him or using her to sell memberships, you will never get in that door again. And so that's what our, our first step was: get the medical advisory board together, which took us about a year and a half. Uh, We worked with MFA. We worked with actually the prep program very closely. And, uh, but once again, it takes time. Uh, I'm very happy we did it. And then we got credentials where 750 of our employees got medical fitness certified. Our tennis center is certified. Our uh, school is certified. Our spa is certified. So you really want to have it so that it's not just the fitness area that's certified. It's
2: your entire corporation that's, that's brought into it. Yeah. You know, Rachel, if I could piggyback on, uh, yeah. a minute here just quickly, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about the fitness industry and, and what, um, how we think it can connect with me- the medical fitness, uh, world, but, but you got to be clear on what you're going to provide the medical community. I, I mean, what is your contribution to the fitness medical fitness industry and, and, uh, you know, as Kevin mentioned, that 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 relationship with the physicians is critical, but but you can destroy it in a second if you have a program that's not meeting outcomes, uh, if it's if it's not of high quality. And and so all of the groundwork that you do in developing those relationships is really just the beginning, but then maintaining that quality is the only thing that'll sustain you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah great
2: point. Go ahead, Deborah.
0: Yeah, if
1: I could just build on that, um and as as the gentlemen have all referred to is building these relationships with the physicians and offering them the opportunity to have a physician lecture series um, within the club and exposing them to your members um, with regards to being able to um, showcase their service lines consistently um, in the centers um, or digitally um, to be able to start that entry point of, of bridging that gap between healthy and unhealthy populations.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, um, Going back to the question of, you know, welcoming special populations or patient, or sorry, physician referred patients into your club, should they be treated differently from other members? And if so, how do you set them up for success? Alan, let's start with you.
2: Yeah, that's a challenge because as we, as operators, we're we're trying to systemize everything, you know, but uh, the reality is that each one of these journeys is very individual. And, and that many of these folks with uh, that are coming to you with, with very unique needs uh, need unique attention. And so somehow you've got to build that into your processes. Um, and and never forget, you know, we all walk through those front doors every day and it's our job and it's where we go to work. And so we're comfortable, but passing through that threshold can be a real barrier to a lot of folks. And and so you've really got to think through that journey and how you can make it um, as, as uh As feasible for them as possible.
0: Chris, what are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I think uh, we would say that it starts with people. You know, your best trainer you have in your health club, uh, getting somebody ready for the Ironman, may or may not be the best person to welcome in uh, somebody with a specific medical condition. So I think having the right people on your teams to onboard these new uh, exercise participants or these new program participants is really critical. Uh, From our perspective, we also felt that process is really important you know and I know we may get into this a little bit later but even within the health club we often have our own internal issues of well here's this medical program and your membership advisors or your salespeople are saying well wait a minute how's it interfering with my ability to sell a membership to this person you oftentimes get infighting inside of a health club between people who don't put aside their own own mission their own personal mission for the greater mission of the 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 enterprise so I think from, from our perspective, what we had done is dedicate people to these programs that were really, um, I think, well-suited well to, to onboard these, these participants. And the other is place. We actually created separate locations inside of our clubs. We had larger format clubs. So we could do this. Um, but areas of the club where these, these participants could meet, they would have a private room for intake sessions, uh, making sure they got through a detailed health history, understood their specific challenges, and then got started. It wasn't simply fill out the paperwork and go. It was really understanding their specific needs so that they had the best chance of succeeding uh, once they got started.
0: Yeah. Um, and then what about HIPAA? Like, are there, is there certain things that you need to do regarding each patient's um, information? I know that's another topic.
3: Mm-hmm. We use, uh, in programs that we use, a doc, medical referral, we, we use HIPAA. I mean, if I'm, if we were doing a, a program for the main population the club, on the uh, strength, we wouldn't we wouldn't have any information that we'd be HIPAA compliant. But when we're getting information and forwarding information on patients, uh, we provide you know we have a HIPAA uh, network. We have HIPAA fax machines, HIPAA email. It's not expensive. It's just you do have to go through that process. You have to understand it. You have to get certified in a HIPAA, which is not hard. Uh, but HIPAA is important. It can get you in trouble. Um, and, patient and, and staff, to Chris's point, you need to have staff that work with this population that are that are different than they may do. They This group may work in the commercial side, but some of the commercial side will never work in the medical side. And so you have to have the empathy of people that uh, want to work with people that are gonna have special needs. Uh, one of the other things too, though, is that you can schedule uh, that population at certain times of the day when it's not busy. Uh, a lot of people that came into our decondition program um, wanted to use the club after 12, like that 12 o'clock to three o'clock time period. We had a lot of space. We gave them their own. They felt comfortable. Um, and they that's, you know, people with Parkinson's and people with uh, cancer. They didn't want to be around the whole population. They wanted that space, but they also didn't want to get up early in the morning either. They needed time to get themselves, their, day, their day going. So. Um, you learn a lot about people when you when you start understanding what people are going through. And that's what medical fitness kind of asks questions to the corporation that we wouldn't have been asking ourselves if we were just a commercial club.
0: Yeah. yeah, Deborah, any anything that you'd add regarding how to welcome special populations in your facility?
1: Just to build on what Chris and Kevin said about dedicated staff um, and how important it is that they um understand. The population that they're dealing with and um, helping um, to um, improve their health and well-being as opposed to the typical retail commercial staff that has a whole different perspective on membership and and their own set of goals um, as as already has been said um, and having the pro having um, dedicated space is very important and then also knowing when you can bridge that gap and, and take a special population participant into the open area of the fitness center or the wellness center, so that they start to feel part of that
0: community as well. Yeah, yeah Alan, I know that you serve a lot of specific populations at your facility at Beacon, correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, you know, uh, many of them are coming to us through the health system, but then also in a more uh, retail environment, they're learning about our programs organically, and so that's been a driver for us too. Yeah.
0: Well, um, you know, we talked a little little bit about the importance of forming partnerships with the medical community as a great first step in just getting involved in this space. Um, You know, Chris, you shared a a good way to get started is just seeing if there's doctors that are members of your facility, welcoming them in to give sessions. Um, How else can clubs partner with the medical community? Any other ideas?
4: Yeah, so um, many health clubs uh, around the country have actually uh, leased space if they have it available um, with physical therapy groups. Um, uh, we found that to be a, a, a nice strategy. We have, um, our, we own six clinics with our local hospital. We, we co-own them as well as having physical therapy tenants elsewhere uh, in the club. And, and really, that's been a nice partnership because in many cases, physical therapy visits are no longer covered, but the patient still has need. And the degree to which we can integrate those patients inside of our health club during their physical therapy treatment so in our case we let our physical therapists um, take their patients onto our fitness floor so they can start learning the equipment they start getting oriented and they think you know i I could i could find a home here and so what we've been able to do quite effectively is transition patients out of um, physical therapy and into our medical fitness programs obviously it depends on the physical therapy to partner um, but really it's about making people feel comfortable you know, and there's also good old fashioned shoe leather. You know, I think uh, we've hired outreach specialists at our clubs and actually going out in the community and telling doctors about the program. So once we have our programs established, being able to go to physicians and saying, hey, everybody, this is this is what we're doing. And maybe it takes you four or five times to get past the front desk to actually talk to a doctor. They're very good at keeping you away from the doctor. But it's, it's good old fashioned shoe leather and, and just continuing to press. And what you'll find over time is that you will find champions there will be 80% of your business will come from 20% of your doctor contacts. And you, when you find those true champions and leveraging those, and, and that will be the key to really getting started. So I think number one would be, Hey, can you, can you build physical therapy? And in, in some way they are looking for solutions like ours and health clubs. And then number two, don't be afraid to beat the street and look for those champions.
0: Yeah. Great advice. Deborah, anything you did on that?
1: Um, Just the whole idea of this medical advisory committee or medical advisory board and um, being able to tap into physicians that are um, already members um, or that are in your community, reaching out to them, trying to bring them together. Um, Now it's virtually um, telling them that you'd like to be of better service to their community for um, wellness and health and well-being. And what could you as a club provide to them? Um, to be able to do that and get their input and their feedback um, to help you establish what those programs should look like.
2: Yeah, Alan, what about you? You know, one thing that that I would also point out is your physical space and your physical layout can make a big difference as well. And uh, one of the strategies that we've uh, employed is that uh, that our physical therapy facilities, but right up against our fitness floor, And in fact, there is not a wall separating the two. So it's not its own unique um, office space. Now, obviously we all have our own constraints in terms of the physical plan, Um, but we found that having that open space where people can move back and forth, as Deborah and Chris are mentioning, uh, where folks can can literally use the same equipment uh, really goes a long way in helping to bridge that gap and make people feel comfortable so that when that therapy uh, session or that program is over, there's an automatic transition. There's a natural process to flow through to the next stage.
0: Yeah. Kevin, anything else that you'd add in regards to forming partnerships with the medical community?
3: Yeah, I, I, we have a, a, a advisory board that has uh, 12 people on it and we rotate it every year, half uh, of the each year. And we now, over the course of time, have about 60 different doctors that have been on our advisory council. Uh, they meet three times a year. Uh, we have a dinner for them. Uh, they are your, they become your, your number one referral base. Uh, they also will refer other doctors to programs. Most doctors have practices with more than one doctor in it. If one doctor in the practice says, you know, that program for diabetes is working with my patients. You should think about referring some of the patients from our practice into that. Then you have two or three doctors now that are, that are supporting it. Um, I, th- I think that's, you know, a great first step but once again it takes time to be able to do that but once you once you've got your business plan going i think you'll you'll be able to find four doctors and then you work it up to six and then it gets up to 12 i would go more than that but um i think that that becomes to chris's point we had a, we have doctors that are referring uh eighty percent of our patients come from probably uh 15 different doctors it's not like a hundred doctors that you need although There's 225 doctors last year that referred into a program, but probably 15 of those doctors did about 80%. So I think that's something to take a look at. And going back to the other thing is you don't have to build a medical fitness wing onto your building. You need to figure out a way to integrate because that's the important thing is how do you integrate medical fitness into commercial if that's where you want to go. You don't want to be a commercial and medical fitness. You want to figure out a way to integrate and assimilate people in so they feel comfortable. You know, so I, I really think that's something to take a look at. And I, and I believe that you can. do that. Yeah.
4: Ahead, Chris. A, a, a quick add on to that. I think. Um, I know we've kind of jumped around on questions, but I think this idea that um, you also have to have classes and programs in addition to what is their specific program. Um, for this participant that they can potentially find a home in, whether it be aquatic exercise, whether it be uh, group exercise, every group exercise classes is a hit class. Uh, a lot of your medical fitness prevent, your participants are not going in there, you know, yeah. but you have fall prevention, you have balance, you have yoga, you have a variety, you have Matt Pilates, you have a variety of classes you potentially can execute that are going to cater to this population. So how do we, to Kevin's point of integrating, I think to integrate, you've got to offer something that maybe is not just we what we as fitness professionals would, would throw in a club because we think that's the latest trend, but really this idea of if you've never been in a club before, where would you get started? And so you have to have enough variety of those types of programs and services to cater to these these participants.
0: Yeah, I mean, and the hope is that they'll remain members of your club after they've finished the program as well.
2: You know, if I could. it's for sure. their own
1: health and well. Oh, sorry, Alan. Oh, no,
2: go ahead, Deborah. Go ahead. i was please.
1: going to say absolutely, it's for their own health and well-being. I mean, you've. Invested in this person now, and you care about them being healthy. And um, we all know what physical activity can do with regards to the benefits of keeping them on that continuum. Go ahead, Alan.
2: Well, I was going to just share a quick story. Um, you know about this idea that uh, a handful of physicians are really going to drive a lot of your referrals. Um, and and we had a situation a few years ago where where um, our suddenly our participation dropped in one of our particular programs. And it was very unusual to us and we couldn't really figure out why. And it turns out that one of our physician champions his patient had had a negative experience. And, and that was it, he stopped referring. And so we had to go back and rebuild those bridges and make him feel confident again in our ability to execute. And, and so they will absolutely make or break your program and you need to keep a really close tab on uh, how things are going for their patients.
0: Certainly. Well, we have a couple of questions from, from the audience, so I want to make sure to get to those. Um, Sean is wondering, what's the best program to get medical fitness certified? I'm assuming that means as a facility. And Anyone feel a ju- feel free to jump in.
3: I, I would say that I would take a look at, there's a lot of content, uh, it would be a diabetes program uh, or a pre-diabetic program. We know that most people that have diabetes tend to be overweight Uh, they tend not to exercise and in our in our program the prep program we first started most of our patients came from doctors referring us into a diet our program for diabetics or pre-diabetics because they wanted to lose their weight they wanted to get them exercising and you can get tremendous results and the most important thing when you get started medical fitness is for you to be able to have outcomes and results that you can show the doctors that are qualified so I would really go for the low-hanging fruit and I think the amount of people that have diabetes or pre-diabetic or overweight uh, can give you a really good start, and you'll also have your your um, staff feel really good about what they're doing.
0: Yeah, would anyone else like to add anything on that question? Yeah, Chris.
4: You know, medical the MFA obviously Medical Fitness Association does certify facilities as well. We've been through that process, like like Kevin has, and I think whether you decide to do it or not, they actually give you a pretty nice um, you know booklet to indicate. Um, what it is you have to do to become medically, uh, a MFA certified facility. And so I think just learning some of those things that maybe you hadn't thought of before as an operator is really important. Again, whether you want to go for the full certification or not, cause it's a lot of work as I think anybody who's been through it can attest, but out of that work, you become better. I think out of that work, you become a better operator and more, and more readily, uh, able to, to meet the needs of these medical populations.
0: Yeah, for the medical fitness certification is extremely intensive, correct? Aren't you graded on, is it 300 points? I'm probably way out of the ballpark on that, so. 209. 209. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but
3: I will say though, that uh, going to Chris's point, you brought up a good point on that. When we got medical fitness certified, we went out then to the doctors and we asked, we, we said, would you like to be on our advisory council? why would I want to be on your advisor? Well, we're a medical fitness certified facility. We're the only one in the state of New Jersey. And it really gave you a step up. And so I, I, you know, once again, I'm, I'm on the board of the the MFA. So I had to disclose that, but to Chris's point, uh, that is really a great informational tool. And we both, Chris and I have both gone through it. And it's when you're finished with it, you are a better company uh, for going through that process. So, you know, a lot more. So, I'll just throw that in, but it was, uh, it was
0: yeah. to... Alan, were you going to add something?
2: Well, I think just as it relates to programs specifically, just keep in mind, a lot of great programs already exist. You don't have to create all this from your, from, from the ground up. So whether it's, um, uh, diabetes programs or Parkinson's programs, a lot of those are out there and you can, um, plug into those, uh, pretty quickly and, uh, just make sure you find a quality one, but they exist.
0: Yeah. And then what about certifications for your medical fitness staff? Sean's also wondering if there's certain things that you should look for.
4: Yeah, so I we guess. have, we, well, we hire registered nurses in many cases. So, you know, that obviously creates a certain level of, uh, of understanding of healthcare issues. Um, as far as certifications, I think I would check with, with ACE, um, ACSM and others. Uh, in many cases, you can actually get advanced medical fitness certifications. I know ACE offers that specifically. Um, Not to shout out one individually, but that's what I know they do. Um, And so a number of our folks have been through that. You can also get health coaching certifications because a lot of what happens in the conversations with these patients is about changing their lifestyle, not just teaching them how to use a machine. And so some of the health coaching certifications uh, have also been very, very helpful uh, for our team.
1: Yeah, and hiring exercise physiologists and registered dietitians and making sure that they have those credentials under their belts as opposed to um, not, is very important with regards to medical fitness, I think.
3: And also, I just, I'll just i add, though, that when you have a program that, for example, Parkinson's, make sure that you have your people qualified and certified in Parkinson's. If you have a cancer program, your your instructor should be cancer exercise specialist. Uh, these are the things that take you one step higher, is having the RD versus a nutritionist, possibly. But but the, the thing is that um, I do believe that when a person comes, a doctor refers into the program, he's going to say, Our cancer, who's doing that program? And you say, We have a cancer exercise specialist that's so overseeing that program. It makes a world of difference.
0: Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the questions from the audience are coming in hot now. So I apologize because we're going to jump around a little bit. So Diane is wondering, um, you know, it has been mentioned several times about investing in medical fitness. What have been the biggest areas you've invested in at your facilities? Is it mostly staff? Alan, let's start with you. Yeah,
2: I, 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 as I reflect on that, I would say probably so. Um, the, uh, you know, there's that statistic that's floated around URSA for many years that, that, uh we keep attracting 20% of the population, you know, and, and part of the belief is that the other 80% are um, skeptical that that uh, a health club can be part of their health care. And so we need to change that. And one of the biggest ways we can change that is the qualifications of our staff and and holding firm to those because it's easy to, uh, you know, when it's not mandated, and it's not required, it's easy to to let those job descriptions evolve and devolve in some cases. And you really can't do that if you're committing to medical fitness. You've really got to get the highest quality, qualified people you can uh, serving those front lines.
0: Would anyone else like to add anything on that question?
4: Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think it's an ongoing investment uh, in the staff and the people. It's not just a one year investment. Um, and the other would be, there may be some levels of investment in your facility depending on how you're currently oriented. And I think um, I would tell any operator who's going to um, bring medical per, per, uh, fitness participants into their clubs to find some really easy to use equipment. We've all been on that piece of equipment. I won't call anybody out by name where you're like, how the hell do I even use this thing? And I'm in the business and I'm setting all the pins and I think I'm doing it right, but I'm not sure. So you can't have that uh, for your medical fitness participants. I think easy to use is really uh, the name of the game. So you may need to upgrade some of your equipment or change some of it out uh, to, meet, to meet the needs of these participants.
3: Yeah, and and lastly, when it comes back to the certifications, we spent a lot of money um, with our medical fitness and our, our own staff. That we we tell our members that we have the highest level of certifications available in the industry, and that's important. Um, and we also support that with two times a year, we'll bring ACSM in or ACE in, and we'll do certifications there that uh, other clubs may not be doing, but. It, people want to know that our people are educated and are certified and are safe. I think that's really the key. Are, that, are their patients safe when they come to our facility? And don't underestimate, they want to know if they're safe if they have an event at our place also. So yeah. are you, if, my, if my patient has a heart attack, tell me about how they're going to be protected by your staff. You know What kind of training do you have? And so in our club, we've got 750 people that people are AED certified, CPR certified. And that makes doctors feel good. I mean, that's, and it makes, it makes patients feel good too.
2: And, yeah. and that safety element needs to be incorporated into the membership tour. You, you know, that needs to be a, a, a woven in part of the conversation. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, another attendee is wondering if any of you have had success billing insurance for medical exercise programs. And if so, please explain how. I think Chris, you mentioned that you guys were able to do that.
4: Yeah, so we can bill for, for, for diabetes prevention. Um, for example, through Medicare um, there. And, and Kevin, I know you know you have experience billing for registered dietitians. Um, you know, we've actually, so again, through a software provider, um, we've helped clubs around the country bill for their programs. So we actually see all the different contracts. So in some cases, um, we've seen organizations, a lot of YMCAs um, I know um, have done this as well, where you have to have up to 30 payers for a particular club who are paying for various forms of exercise, whether it be diabetes prevention whether it be uh, obviously nutrition. We've seen um, programs around childhood obesity get reimbursed where there's direct contracts with insurance companies. Um, And there's also third-party payers for corporations. So taking insurance out, many, many large corporates who are self-insured are willing to direct pay for their particular employees or their covered lives to engage with your center for these programs. So, you know, this is something that people think about, oh, we're going to bill insurance and that's the way we get third-party payer. Well, actually insurance is one of, but probably the most complicated version of that, that direct relationships potentially with health systems, employers uh, in your area may actually prove to be be, uh, be more fruitful. Yeah,
3: we we actually build uh, we, we we are credentialed with um, all the major insurance companies through, um, uh, and we build it themselves. But it's it's it ties into our RDs and nutritional counseling. So uh, we don't currently. Uh, get reimbursed at all for any exercise programs. Insurance companies don't do that. But I do think that Chris brought up a really good point is that we're talking about the medical community, but there's a corporate community and the corporate community. If you have a self-insured company, it doesn't, and you have the right credentials, don't sell them memberships. Don't sell them guest passes, sell them wellness because wellness is what's costing them a fortune. And it or the lack of wellness is costing a fortune. So we're working with the company right now. We know exactly who their insurance company is, but then we find out they're really not their insurance company because they're self insured. They just have, they just actually do the paperwork. If, if, if you understand that a heart attack can cost 400 to 400000 four hundred to $500,000, if a person has a major event heart attack, how many times, how, what is your program going to cost that company? To prevent one heart attack, it, to pay the the ROI with a corporate that's that's a self-insured corporation, uh, it, you you're always going to win that conversation, and you don't even have to win it. The HR department knows exactly what they're spending on those things, and and but you have to be professional. You have to have a person going into them talking, and sometimes you need to use uh, third-party people to help you get in because the if you think getting into a doctor is hard. Try to get into an HR director uh, or a, uh, a COO of a company. It's, it's, it's next to impossible. It's, it's harder to get into the, it's easier to get into the governor than it is to get into a HR director at some companies. You know, so Yeah.
0: Well, we are about out of time. So I wanna give each of you the opportunity to share one final piece of advice. Deborah, let's start with you. What, what would you like operators to know regarding medical fitness or just something that you've learned?
1: Yeah, I'd like them to know how hungry I think that health systems and physicians are for a collaboration um, amongst themselves and with an appropriate fitness and wellness center. Um, health systems operate in silos often because they're so entrenched in the day-to-day um, critical care that they give that they haven't even had that integration amongst themselves within service lines. And so if you as a health club operator can help to bring them together um, and get them collaborating in conjunction with your fitness and wellness center, Um, they're they're incredibly receptive if you can find the time, if they can find the time to be able to come together. And so don't feel intimidated and think that you don't have anything to offer. You have this phenomenal space, you have resources, you have people and exercise is truly medicine Um, and they want to come together and they want that collaboration.
0: Yeah, it never hurts to ask. The worst thing that can happen is they say no. Right. Yeah. What about you, Alan? What's your final piece of advice?
2: Yeah, you know, I think that for me, this this conversation in many ways represents the maturing of the fitness industry, and uh, that that's appropriate. It's 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 good that we're having these dialogues. Um, I don't really believe that it's optional. Um, but what is, what is up for, for question from individual operators and, and organizations is to what degree you want to be involved in medical fitness. But but I think as time goes on, you're going to find that you have to have a place in this continuum somewhere. Um, and, and lastly, to circle background, I really think our focus as an industry needs to be uh, much more heavily on the prevention side and that that uh, represents a big key for all of us. Yeah, great
0: advice. Kevin, what about you?
3: Uh, I, I mirror what everybody else said. I think that you know medical fitness has a role for everybody. I, I think though that there are commercial clubs that can that can decide not to go the medical fitness route and still be very successful um, and may not want to spend the time don't have the buy in don't have the ownership wanting want to do it so I wouldn't I, I would only go if you have the right commitment and that um, medical fitness is an opportunity to show that you, you have high quality and you're safe and uh, and you're making a difference in the community.
4: Chris, what about you? Um, well, first I'll just say that I know there's a lot of questions we didn't get to. So, yeah, um, you know, I don't know. You can email me, chris at acac.com. So you can put that to everybody who participated. That's fine. I'm uh, happy to em- take the emails. Um, I'll get to them. I promise. Uh, I think that the, the, the real answer here is I think just get started. I think get started where you're comfortable and grow into it. I think that was the piece of advice that kevin gave and maybe it doesn't take you your club three years to get started because you can learn from all the mistakes that all of us have made and simply just say hey don't do this because that'll, that'll cost you some time um but i really believe that just getting started is the hardest part and finding that way to, to build that program that that works for you because this is something that we're all going to deal with no one i know has ever been to a health club and seen 100 percent fit people you know every time i go into a club i see people who Maybe need a little bit more support or wandering the fitness floor looking lost. You know, how do you make a home for those people in your club? Because to a point that Rachel made earlier, we have, we have the data on how long these members stay. Uh, our members who start in medical fitness programs stay longer than traditional members. 20, Pre-COVID, 20% of our membership came to us. Overall, 20% of our sales were driven because they started with us from a medical fitness program. We actually see that over time increasing. So I think that this is something that could be a really, really important part of your business as you grow into it and develop those uh, kind of habits and processes and procedures that work for your organization. So I'd encourage everyone to get started in a place that that feels comfortable to them.
0: I think that brings brings up a great point, too, about, um, you know, having special populations in your facility in regards to marketing. Is it important for gyms to showcase a variety of different types of people in their marketing especially if they're trying to get into the medical fitness space. Absolutely. Deborah?
1: Absolutely. The, the diversity that needs to be in your um, marketing, in your brochures, in your publications, um, in, in your communications, on your Facebook page, on your website, um, has to reflect who it is that you want to welcome into the club. And it's not always these perfect hard bodies that we see in a stereotypical gym advertisement.
0: Awesome. Well, um, thank you all again. I apologize to the audience. I know that we did not get to everyone's questions. I think we might have to have another one of these panels because there were so many. So we'll look into doing another medical fitness panel um, so that everyone has the uh, opportunity to ask whatever they like. But again, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate each of you sharing your expertise in this space. It's very much appreciated.
1: Thank you, Rachel.
0: Yep. All right. And thanks, audience. Everyone have a good rest of your day.
1: Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you guys.